Uh, Nick, I have to I have to directly quote you from our last episode. Uh, I love quoting you. Uh, you said <laughs> you said that the liberals, uh, quote unquote, had a dead cat bounce from the federal budget. Uh, when you said that it was just you know very early uh, uh, data coming in. So so what are what's the latest ballot tracking now? Well, if you're a part of the red team, you're probably clutching your chest right now and will clutch your chest after you hear these numbers and the latest nanos tracking we track every week. Conservatives rounding out at around 36%, up four points in the last four weeks. Liberals, 30, uh, down two points. New Democrats, 20, down two points. Green Party at six, block five. People's Party at around three. But the key takeaway here is that the Conservatives are opening up a lead that is statistically significant. It's outside of the margin of error. Now, why? In my experience, Parties without leaders actually sometimes and many times are more popular than parties with leaders. It's like there's nothing to be repulsed by. (laughs) Seriously. So I think think for some Canadians, they don't, you know, there's no leader for the Conservative Party of Canada. Mm -hmm. And they think, who knows, maybe Jean Charest could be the leader. Mm -hmm. And for those Canadians that like Pierre Poiliev, they think he might be the leader. Or Patrick Brown or Leslyn Lewis. So Conservatives uh, up. Four points in four weeks, no bounce. Yeah, like a complete dead cat. No offense wow. to any cat lovers, but a complete dead cat bounce for the for the liberals and the new Democrats. Maybe the, one of the takeaways here is that although the liberal new Democrat arrangement, parliamentary arrangement, provides for stability, I think Canadians woke up and go, hold on a second, does that mean we're going to have this for until 2025? Mm. Perhaps some Canadians aren't happy and looking at the conservatives as an alternative. That's true, Nick. I mean, it's not just the, the federal budget. Uh, it, it's the, uh, the agreement that we've seen between the NDP and the Liberals ha- that have had seemingly zero impact on, on their support. And, you know, you think of it, think of it this way. The, the Liberals, it's understandable why the Liberals would want to do this. It provides certainty because there was no threat that the budget would be defeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's probably a political trade-off there. Because I think for right now, for many Canadians, they probably believe it's going to be same old, same old from the Liberals, at least between now and 2025. And for some Canadians, they're not enthusiastic about that. And now they're looking at the Conservatives as an alternative. But the reality is, if an election were held today, Hmm. there's a good chance the Conservatives could win. Haven't seen numbers like this since. Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole, (laughs) the once leader of the Conservative Party, where... Hmm. Uh, at one point in the campaign, he was doing quite well uh, and uh, managed to have the advantage. But haven't seen haven't seen a number like this for quite a while for the Conservatives, with the exception of the O'Toole period at one point in the last federal election campaign. Wow. Well, welcome, everyone. This is a new episode of Trendline, obviously. I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And we release new episodes uh, every two weeks. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, Nick, uh, aside from the, the, the latest uh, ballot tracking numbers, uh, I just want to quickly get into another protest heading to uh, our nation's capital. Uh, this time it's uh, motorcycles. Uh, uh, they're rallying around uh, a notion of freedom. Uh, I think some of, some of the members of this protest, uh, you know, they've been outspoken against uh, uh, mask mandates, uh, things like that. Um, how do Canadians feel about these protests? Is, is this is this an emerging trend, or are we seeing more of more of these protests uh, to be expected? First of all, I'd like to say that I don't think many Canadians would be upset that there's a disruption in the capital of 
Ottawa mm-hmm. uh, because of a protest, because not a lot of Canadians like Ottawa, uh, <laughs> you know, especially if you happen to be in, in Western Canada. Mm. So they're probably happy and don't, don't mind seeing a protest. However, uh, in the wake of the Freedom Convoy, that protest that did come to Ottawa, you know, it's interesting. We did some survey research and we asked Canadians how likely or unlikely that uh, that protests like the truckers freedom convoy protest, uh, whether they would continue as part of the regular mix hmm. of uh, Canadian politics. About 28% said that it was likely to continue another 48% somewhat likely. So roll those two things up and you can see three out of every four Canadians think that protests, these type of disruptive protests that are there and targeting places like Ottawa is going to be part of the new normal in hmm. Canadian uh, politics. So when they hear about, I, I know you said motorcycle, but I, to my mind, I thought Harley's like, we're talking Harley's coming to Ottawa. Easy rider. Yeah. Yeah. Easy rider, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's going to be part of the new normal and people will expect that. One thing that it is interesting is that coming out of the, the truckers convoy, the freedom convoy protest coming out of that an increasing number of Canadians said that freedom or freedom of speech was their top national issue of concern. It went as high as I think eight or 9%, maybe even 10%. Mm. It's trailing down now, but there are Canadians uh, that from their perspective, the one top worry that they have about the country is that freedom. They believe that freedom is under siege. So mm. get ready for what planes, trains, automobiles, trucks, motorcycles now uh, as potential uh, protests for folks that are unhappy with things. Uh, Nick, we, we've touched on this before uh, in, in a previous episode, but but freedom isn't wasn't a, a word that was you know heavily used in political discourse in, in this country uh, until you know recently, I suppose, with with the trucker convoy, and, and it seemed like a, a direct uh, result from from vaccine mandates, things like that. I mean, is this sort of an American style um, uh, politics entering our country, or where where is this coming from? Well, I think it's I think it's an American issue because it is an issue in uh, the United States. Freedom is part of the political lexicon in uh, in the United States. You know, like, let's face it, the United States is the land of the free, while Mm -hmm. Canada is the place of peace, order and good government. Does that sound boring or what? But, (laughs) you know, for, uh, you know, and freedom now is part of the Canadian lexicon, not just because of the uh, the trucking convoy. But because one of the major contenders, one of the serious contenders for the Conservative Party of Canada leadership, Pierre Poiliev, has built his whole campaign about this idea of of freedom. And, you know, maybe that's the one political risk. And I'll tell you one thing, Michael, in our polling, you know, over 30 years, um, there are a lot of things that Canadians like about the United States, but they but whenever politicians kind of embrace the U.S. or sound American style a little too much. Mm. Sometimes it gets under the skin of uh, of certain Canadians. So it can be it can be both an opportunity, but it also can be a potential risk. But it's definitely going to be divisive from a political perspective in Canada. Mm. Uh, Nick, I want to do a provincial check in, uh, and this time we're going to go over to New Brunswick. Uh, so hello to our New Brunswick listeners, and you have some exclusive numbers for us for Trendline. Absolutely. You know, uh, Nanos recently did a provincial poll in the, in the province of New, Brun- New Brunswick, focusing on provincial issues. And in the latest Nanos tracking in New Brunswick, 
we have the uh, the Liberal Party of New Brunswick at 39%. They're up a full five percentage points from the provincial election, but mm. close on their heels and statistically tied from a margin of error perspective are the is the sitting government, the progressive conservatives who are at 37. They're down from the last election a bit. Green Party is still doing well, especially compared to the National Green Party. The Green Party of New Brunswick's at 14%. No mm. really major change. Uh, the NDP are up. Uh, compared to the last election, up 9%. And the People's Alliance, New Brunswick's response to the protest movement mm-hmm. is down a full eight percentage points, down to 1.2. And then a little, we have to put a little asterisk on this, is that just before we did our survey, the leader of the People's Party announced that he was closing shop, winding things down, and uh, would be uh, supporting the conservatives, the progressive conservatives in New Brunswick. However, the other thing, at least that I've been hearing in New Brunswick, is that although they've closed up shop, there are rank and file members that say, hold on a second. Mm. We believe in uh, in the movement that was started. They want it to continue. So we just might see another new people's alliance in the province of New Brunswick that would be problematic or difficult for the, for the progressive conservatives because it might swing that conservative-minded vote in New Brunswick. And there's liberal leadership provincially going on. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in that. That's that's really starting to heat up, and they'll be picking a new leader and uh, determining a new direction for the Liberal Party of New Brunswick. So statistical tie, factoring mm. the margin of error between the provincial liberals and the provincial progressive conservatives in New Brunswick. Uh, I'm curious, Nick. Uh, you know, I, I'm assuming a lot of people were were voting for the alliance uh, almost as a, a protest vote. They, they were fed up with with the with the two major parties. Have we seen uh, have we seen those votes head elsewhere? Uh, has has the NDP do you think picked up any of those votes? Well, obviously the the NDP probably picked up votes at the uh, some votes at the expense of the uh, of the Green Party. Hmm. Um, and you know the other thing is is you know the NDP the NDP is also kind of in New Brunswick is also kind of like a, a bit of a protest party. And if you hmm. remember, if we go into the archives, Elizabeth Weir, who is the person from St. John Harbor, I believe it was. She was mm. the leader of the NDP and was had positioned the NDP as an outsider and kind of a protest vote. But, you know, the thing is, is there's some really big geographic uh, differences in the province of New Brunswick between North and South, South being primarily uh, more Anglophone and more conservative minded mm-hmm. and North being uh, having, you know, the Acadian Francophone mix and being more likely to uh, support uh, progressive voters, specifically the Liberals. Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, Elon Musk is buying Twitter, so we'll see how that might impact uh, political discourse in Canada. Sounds good. Uh, Nick, Elon Musk, famously outspoken on Twitter, uh, has also been a huge critic of uh, what do you what do you see is our limitations on free speech on that platform? And now he's spending billions and billions and billions of dollars to buy Twitter. So what will this mean if he kind of encourages, I, I guess I'll say it, unpoliced free speech? I'm not really sure how to how to call it. Well, he's obviously a big believer in Twitter. He uses Twitter a lot um, and he sees Twitter as the public space for dialogue. It's really too early to tell what's going to happen because it could could cut either way. You know, the big question is, is what would be his position on reinstating someone like Donald Trump and other individuals who've been banned by Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, how we would feel about those voices being part of the mix. On the other side of the equation, there are a couple of things that I 
tuned into that I thought were actually quite significant. He talked about weeding out and trying to eradicate bots. And mm. bots have been the big problem uh, on Twitter. And bots would not be human beings with accounts, but they would basically be trolls that would be set up to attack and counterattack different kind of accounts and movements and opinions uh, in the Twitter sphere. And I would hazard to say that if, if Elon Musk, uh, through technology, can figure out a way to weed out or control bots, that would really be a big game changer because we'd be back to human to human interaction and not bot trolls against mm. human interactions. So, but this is really big news, not just for the United States, not just for democracy in the United States, but for democracies around the world, because Twitter has been a major player and has influenced a number of elections and has been the platform where a lot of these battles are taking place. I mean, it is, it's been a way for presidential candidates to speak directly to their supporters, presidents as well, and, and sort of bypass, uh, you know, media. Uh, Donald Trump is a, is a famous example of that, and 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 also he was famously banned from Twitter. Um, do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess. Do you think the public sort of wants to see more of this uh, use of Twitter as kind of a megaphone for politicians? Is this something that Canadians uh, appreciate? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, back in uh, back in 2016, we did a, a survey when uh, Trump. You know, we had the Trump Clinton showdown. And, uh, and, you know, we asked Canadians who did a who did a good job or who did better at uh, getting attention or attacking their opponents uh, in the US presidential race and, and, you know, Trump basically did a better job or perceived of as doing a better job than Clinton, you know, you can see on getting attention 44% thought Trump did the best job compared to Clinton at five and 42 thought Trump did a good job at getting attention compared to Clinton at six. Mm-hmm. So I think we could say that Twitter made Trump, period, mm-hmm. full stop, uh, because it was a platform. He was able to mobilize, engage uh, voters. Um, I don't think, uh, I think it's a little early in the process. Um, I think Canadians accept, whether they like Twitter or not, they accept that Twitter is, is part of our democracy currently. And I think that depending on what direction Elon Musk takes things, uh, if he ends up cleaning up Twitter mm-hmm. so that it is a real platform for interchange, that would be quite positively reviewed by many uh, Canadians. However, if it becomes a wild west uh, where anything goes and and the quality of the uh, of the platform or the dialogue on the pl- platform diminishes, uh, it could uh, it could there could be a bit of a uh, a repulsion to the platform and it could be sliding even more because we do know from our research is that, you know, although ca- many Canadians are on Twitter, it's not necessarily a, a credible source because people take a lot of things that are on Twitter with a big grain of salt. So big, uh, big hill for uh, Elon Musk to climb, not saying he can't do it. The guy's been uh, discounted a number of times, you know, they made fun of him for Tesla. They made fun of him for SpaceX, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't think he should be dismissed in terms of his uh, impact on Twitter. Oh, well, let's leave it there. Uh, great episode. Thanks very much, Nick. Take it easy.